So today's Ash Wednesday, and it's the beginning of Lent. But uh, as far as the church year is concerned, I'm going to kind of jump out of order. Uh, I'm going to jump to after Easter, actually 40 days after Easter, to Ascension Day. Because on Ascension Day, that, that's the day that Jesus returned to heaven. And, and you can read about this at the end of the Gospel of Luke or in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is there with his disciples. He's teaching them. And all of a sudden, he just starts kind of going up into the sky until a cloud covers him and he can't see him anymore. That's what happened from the earthly perspective. That's what the disciples saw with their feet firmly planted on the ground. But there is another account of Jesus' ascension recorded for us in the scriptures in the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, where we see what happens in heaven when the lamb who was slain comes to his father's throne and is found to be worthy to to open the scroll with the seven seals. And in chapter 4 in particular, we have the scene set up for us. And we find God sitting on this glorious, beautiful throne. And it's literally, like like we say in in the uh, communion liturgy, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, they're gathered there in worship. And it talks about these these kind of weird-looking four living creatures. Uh, they have four faces. One is the face of a man, one is the face of a, of a bull, one is the face of a lion, and the other is a, a face of an a, uh, eagle. I think I got them all. Um, did I repeat anything? Okay, good. And they're, they're these weird creatures, and, and they're, they're, they're angels is what they are. And they're, they're leading the, the heavenly choirs in worship. And they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And standing there by the throne, there are 24 elders. All right, so 24. Revelation is full of all kinds of symbolism, but this one's really easy. 12 tribes of Israel... 12 apostles in the New Testament. 12 plus 12 equals? Uh, I was a little bit worried there for a second. Yeah, 24. So these 24 elders, they symbolize all of God's people of all time. And they're standing there, and every time the, the living creatures cry out, holy, 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 they have these crowns on their head, and they take them, and they throw them at the foot of the throne. They, th- they throw them at God's feet. They cast their crowns at God's feet in an act of worship, and they, they cry out, they sing, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, these crowns, these crowns are their glory, they are their authority. They, they, they are the, the kingdom that God has bestowed upon them. And they so willingly and gladly and freely just throw them at God's feet in worship. It's this beautiful, beautiful act of worship. 
literally, because the word worship comes to us from Old English, worth-ship, to declare something to be worthy. And that's what they, they just said, that you, know, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power and so on. You see, what, what you have happening here is kind of a, a first commandment situation. The first commandment says you shall have no other gods. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And there they are. They're standing before the throne. And they recognize that the very fact that they're there is because their God has done this for them. So as they worship, their hearts are in the right place. Now, we, we use that phrase sometimes when people mess up, right? Well, their hearts were in the right place. This case, their hearts literally, really, truly are in the right place. They're in a right relationship with their God. So, so they're able to just take these crowns off and, and lay them before God in worship because these are the redeemed in Christ of all of history. And their lives have been transformed in Jesus. They are right, righteous, holy, because of God's salvation at work in their lives. Now, this is a picture of heavenly worship. And we, we participate in this, not because we're able to like kind of ascend to the heavenly worship, but because God comes to us in our worship. He comes to us in the word and in the sacraments. And maybe we get a little bit of a taste of the, the, the glory and the, the excitement of being able to worship God in this way. But, but, but we're not there yet, are we? I mean, this is our future. Make no mistake that we get to see God face to face and to worship him. And we, are, we will freely and gladly worship him in every way. But we're not there yet. So what we're doing here is, well, it's earthly worship, right? This is our present. We're here now. Our feet are on the ground. Kind of like the disciples when Jesus ascended into heaven. We're kind of looking up. But we're kind of limited. Because, because we're separated from God in some ways, some very important ways. And our relationship with him becomes strained because of our sin. So notice that the, the four living creatures, they praise God, calling him out as, as holy, 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 holy. It's the Lord our God, the one who is and was and, and is to come. Sinful people, sinful people react to holiness with, with terror. You know, I, I get a kick out of this. Sometimes I'm talking with people, oh, I'd love to meet an angel. No, you wouldn't. You would be, your mouth would dry up, you'd be like, dud, 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 dud. it'd be terrifying. Because when we as sinful people find ourselves in the presence of, of holiness, we keenly experience our, our mortality as we stand in the presence of one who is sinless. That's completely foreign to our experience. So there are a couple examples uh, from, from the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
Isaiah comes to the temple. And as he enters the temple, the Lord is there in his glory. He's sitting on his throne in the temple. There's these angels that are flying around. I think they might be the same ones that are crying out, holy, holy, holy here because they're singing roughly the same song. And as Isaiah looks up, he says, woe is me. Now, that's not like woe, like W-H-O-A. It's woe, W-O-E, like Oh my, I'm dead. Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a dead man, literally. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And in that moment, one of those living creatures, one of those angels, goes over to the altar, the place where the sacrifices are offered to pay for sins. He takes a burning coal from it. And he comes over to Isaiah and he touches his lips. And he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your sins are atoned for. And it's only after that, that Isaiah can stand in God's presence to hear him speak and then to go forth and to carry God's message. He can't just stand in God's holiness. He he has to be forgiven. He has to be redeemed. He has to be cleansed. And then something similar happens in the beginning of the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is the one who records this for us. And uh, early on, he sees, he sees a vision of Jesus in all of his glory. He, he says he's a, like a son of man. And he recognizes this is Jesus in his glory. How did he do that? What was last Sunday? Transfiguration. John had gotten at least a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. And so as he's standing there, he sees Jesus in his glory. And it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's like the official, you know, English Standard Version translation. The Triton translation goes like this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a corpse. I think he fell dead. Because the very next thing that happens is Jesus comes over and he touches him. Do not be afraid. Record the things I'm going to show you. Tell this to the church. You see... Holiness, the word holy, it, it, it comes from the word to cut. And it means uh, that, that there is a separation, a chasm, a division between us as sinners and God who is sinless, holy. We, we are creatures who usurp our creator. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how sinful people, they, they, they exchange created things for the creator. So we, we, we live in this relationship with the one who created all things, but people have this way of worshiping images of birds and snakes and animals. 
Now, I, I'm guessing that most of you don't have any like statues of snakes in your house that you like pray to or anything like that. I hope not. Otherwise, let's talk. Um, but we all tend to have these idols, these false gods in our lives. And when we dig deep enough, when we scratch the surface uh, in the right spots, what we're going to see is that at the heart of all of those idols is that we like to worship ourselves. And that we want to be God, the one with the authority and the power in our own lives. You see, in heaven, the first commandment is done rightly. We tend to do the first commandment wrongly because we always want to put something else there. And often what we want to put in that that place that we would worship, that place where we would find our hope and our trust, that place that we would, would run to when we find trouble, we want to put something else there. And often it's, it's something about me, myself, or I. Heavenly worship is free and it's glad throwing our crowns before our Creator and our Savior. We're able to just let them go. Earthly worship, we're not so free with casting our crowns. We want to hold on to our perceived glory, to our personal sense of power. So when we think about good earthly worship, Good earthly worship is really marked by repentance. Turning away from our sin and turning to our Savior. As people who have received Jesus' salvation, we strive to turn away from sinfulness, to turn away from the idols of our lives, and we strive to worship God rightly. And you know what? What happens when we do that? We find that we fall short. And that we continually need God's mercy and grace. And then we find that he gladly, lovingly, patiently, lavishly gives us that mercy and grace. Day after day, moment after moment. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. It's a special time of repentance. Repentance is always part of our lives as Christians. But as with so many things that are always part of our lives, we tend to take it for granted. And so Lent is this time to bring it into focus. So for the next 40 days, 46 if you want to count the Sundays, we're going to take some time to specially focus on repentance. And this repentance is going to be rooted in the first commandment. So we're checking out our worship, making sure that we're worshiping the right person. And as part of that worship, we want to make sure that we can cast our crowns. 
And I want to use that as a metaphor for our worship, for our repentance. To be able to take something that is valuable to us and just leave it at God's feet. To trust him with it. And to get at these these, uh, things that we're going to find the need for repentance, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We read read a portion of that tonight. We're going to read it again in a couple weeks. But as we read the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be called to repent, to cast our crowns before God, to cast our, our glory, our sense of glory before God to cast our our performance before God, to lay our reputation at his feet, to place our idols at the foot of his throne, and finally, to give him our anxiety. This process, it's more than just acknowledging God's glory or authority and power. What we're doing is we're placing ourselves into God's hands. Coming to him as dear children coming to their beloved father. Because that's who God has invited us to believe that he is. He is the one who provides for our future. He's the one we look to for blessing. And he's the one who protects us whenever we're in danger. And we would turn to him whenever we find trouble. More than that, he is a forgiving father. That we know through Christ. Who gives us his spirit. And the Spirit in turn delivers Christ to you in his word and his sacraments, giving you forgiveness and life and salvation that Jesus might bring you before the Father's throne where one day you will worship with purest heavenly worship. But for now, our feet are firmly on the ground. And so our worship is marked with repentance, turning our hearts to God who has come to us in Christ, who has shed his blood for us, who has saved us from sin and death, who raises us from death and gives us new life that we might turn to him and live forever.